0: to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Alley. Today we're talking with Cherry Atalano, a young Filipino farmer who started the social enterprise called Agria. Agria being a combination of the words agriculture and Gea for earth. I know, great name, right? I first learned about them a couple years ago because of this hashtag I saw floating around on Instagram called Farming is cool, smart, sexy, and humane. Even Sherry admits the hashtag's a bit long, but it gets the point across. And gets us to notice that finally, little by little, these seeds of change in how agriculture itself is perceived in the Philippines It's being sown by this crop of young farmers coming through and making a difference by themselves. That change starts with people like Cherry, who have made it their mission, and frankly their business, a successful one at that, to improve the lives of Filipino farmers. I guess, as someone who grew up in the Philippines, it was certainly one of those things where you kind of just know that it exists And, like many people who grow up in a large urban capital, it's easy to go through life not even having to think about where the food you're eating is coming from. (music) To be honest, this is one of those subjects that, frankly, seems too big to tackle. I mean, where would I even start? With a country that's as large and as diverse as the Philippines with so much land that can still grow and nurture this amount of fruit and vegetables and grains, you know, farmers have just been underappreciated and not given the rights and respect they deserve, in my opinion. So I had these kinds of questions and more, but not enough reasons or resources to ask them. And I mean, admittedly, this particular interest really kind of only grew for me because of this renaissance of farming and agriculture here in North America, with farmers who appear in magazines and TV shows and talk as things like keynote speakers at symposiums, like the recent one I went to called the Terroir Symposium in Toronto. Anyway, all of this really did help me understand that with a little context and the right products that are made from the best ingredients that you can find around, you really can taste the terroir of a place, like what's in the ground, what's in the atmosphere, everything that exists around the animal or the farm that was used to grow these products. It answered so many questions for me, I think, and... As my interest in food and where it comes from started to grow, I also kind of wondered what I've been able to ask, where does my food come from, if I still lived in the Philippines? To be honest, I'm not sure, and probably it's just because I didn't know what existed, and again, where do we even start? Did farmers under 30 even exist in the Philippines? And of course they do. These people who have put their life's work into bringing those foods from the ground and the soils and the seas into the hands of people who appreciate and support them, they exist. And this particular story we're going to hear today from Cherry and her discovery of what exactly grows in the island of Marinduque is equal parts thrilling and educational. And yes... All of this is about farming. Let's get to it.
1: Hi, I'm Cherry Atelano from the Philippines, obviously <laughs> pure Filipina, and I'm the founding farmer and a CEO of Agri Agricultural Systems International, Inc. Basically, it's a Inclusive business or somehow a lot of people would call it social enterprise, you know So um, our goal in our company is to build the first sustainable island in the Philippines for you listeners You know if you're Filipino Americans, Filipino Canadians, the Philippines has 7,107 islands So it's not only about Manila So we have so many beautiful islands around the Philippines, but uh, I've been asking myself why there's no sustainable islands in terms of food? You know, most of the islands are importing food from other islands and, or even other countries. And our goal is to build the first one island economy in the Philippines. It starts from the heart of the Philippines. It's called Marinduque Island. It's basically almost shaped like a heart <laughs> and um, it's around 100,000 hectares of land and 260,000 people in the island with six towns and the one island economy means we want to to tackle the development of the island with three major pillars zero hunger it's not just about the hunger of the stomach you know it's really the hunger of human being to belong it's really the hunger of how to live a decent life how to have a decent home how to be educated and the second pillar is zero waste so it's basically about environmental sensitivity so how can you do development in the island with respect to the environment because we work a lot with farmers and fishermen and the environment is really their social security system more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So when the environment is destroyed, um, everyone will be affected, the food producers will be affected. And the third major pillar is um, zero insufficiency. So basically it's about economic development. As Sherry
0: describes, the main crops and food products that are produced on the island of Marinduque are rice and coconuts. The island, though, currently imports about 91% of the rice that's consumed by the people who live there, despite the fact that there are over 4,000 arable plots of land on the island itself. It's a crazy statistic and, unfortunately, all too common. Copra, the island's other main source of income, is basically dried coconut tusks that are often used for, like, building material and handicraft work. This reliance on copra, with so much of the remaining coconut underutilized, I think, is a whole other topic. For now, Cherry adds,
1: farmers earn $2 a day on processing these dried coconut husks. So we work on that economics. If you translate the zero hunger... Zero waste and zero insufficiency, it's basically about social impact, environmental impact, and economical impact.
0: So to summarize, the three main goals that Sherry's team is out to achieve, zero hunger, zero waste, and zero insufficiency, are sort of this real manifestation of the social, the environmental, and the economic impact that Agria hopes to set out on the island of Marinduque the idea
1: behind the one island self-sustaining economy so these are the three pillars that our company is trying to work with and trying to 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 base all our work and measure the impact of our work in three aspects so that's basically what agria is doing and it's it's a lot of work we're giving ourselves 20 years to to work in this island but In the next, uh, starting this third year of the company, we're actually expanding some of the best practices of the island. That's why, you know, as I mentioned to you, I'm flying to Mm Shergao because it's the international surfing capital, actually in Asia. And they have like 20,000 to 50,000 tourists coming almost every month. And they don't have a supply of food. The farmers are so disconnected and the fishermen are so disconnected. When people are flying, they also fly the food to sustain the the tourists coming.
0: Uh, that is something that a lot of um, Filipino Americans and Canadians uh, who who have never lived in the Philippines are really kind of. Th- those are some of the questions they have because they know that the Philippines is surrounded by this agricultural land. Um, we're surrounded by the ocean, but you know why is it that? A lot of Filipino farmers really live below the poverty line, and it's hard for them to kind of get the context of why that is the case, right? So, uh, part of my um, wanting to ask these kinds of questions to people such as yourself is to help provide that context and to kind of uh, explain you know, there are many different factors that contribute to that, but what can, I guess the conversation is really, what can we do about it today to, to make it better or to change that, that narrative as uh, you, you know, with
1: Agrea. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because um, actually, you know, everyone starts with an inspiration, why they do things. Mm-hmm. And when people would always say, oh, because that's your passion. I would always disagree. It's not only my passion, but mm-hmm. I also found purpose in doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's it's my passion. Agriculture is the it's the hardest, you know, track that you would do, especially as a woman, because it's a male-dominated industry. And if you're just passionate about it, it will not work. You will not last. But for me, it's really about I found my purpose in doing it. Um, so, where did your story as a farmer begin? I ask. I think I would start when I was young. Because um, my father was into sugarcane farming in Negros. And what happened was, before he died, he said the life of the farmer is equivalent to period and comma. Like a grammatical period
0: and a comma, like an
1: Oxford comma. When you combine both and you're an author, if the story is so good to tell, you will not put a period, but a semicolon to continue telling the story because it's so worth to tell.
0: And so the story is that Sherry's dad would get some rice, some salt, and some bagong. That's the fermented shrimp or fish paste. When he wanted to talk about what it was like to work with the farmers on their sugarcane fields.
1: So he'd dip his finger in salt, that period, and the salt was stick on his finger, you know?
0: So in between sugarcane harvests, when many local farmers had little to no income, this, the salt, it would be their dinner. A little clump of rock salt on a plate with a little bit of sticky rice. You'd scoop up the rice between your four fingers and your thumb and then dip the rice cake into that little clump of salt. This, according to Cherry's dad, was like a period at the end of a sentence.
1: In Filipino, magdildil ka ng asin, Mm -hmm. right? It's very literal and very figurative in a way.
0: This particular saying, and there are many like it in the Philippines, stems from a truth from this way of life that many people lived long ago and actually still live today. When someone tells you magdildil ka ng asin, that literally means you're about to eat salt for dinner. But figuratively, it, it's also kind of like advice, something that an older or wiser person would say to remind you that you kind of just have to deal with the way things are just a little bit more. It's like, old wisdom that reassures you in the end that these challenges that seem like so huge and so insurmountable at the time that you're experiencing it, these challenges shape you into the person you become. Then there's bagoong, the comma, the thing that allows the story to continue.
1: And he said, if they have a little bit of money, they'll cook bagoong and then it sticks on your finger when you make like a comma.
0: So, compared to salt, which sits in this one spot on your plate, Bagong, on the other hand, with its slightly larger granules, I'm going to call them, those little bits of fish or shrimp that make eating this fish or shrimp paste so pleasurable, the stuff that makes this almost syrupy byproduct of natural fermentation akin to like liquid gold, it becomes the kind of food that sustains people the ulam, or viand that families can predictably rely on. As Cherry's dad recalls, if you smear some bagong on a plate, you know, like wipe it onto a side or into a corner, kind of like finger painting, even the simplest bagong has texture, a consistency that allows you to swipe your finger through it. And if you had bagong, you could make a comma, draw a comma, and that allowed your story your life as a farmer to continue. Hearing this kind of story amazes me, I think, because even though I grew up in the Philippines, my childhood was nothing like the childhood of someone like Cherry, who grew up in a rural area near a farm. My life, as big as it felt at the time, was simply one of millions. That much I understand now. And in the city, it's easy to feel isolated from the rest of your surroundings. And my Manila was a place where you needed like a special sticker on your car to drive through a gated subdivision. Talk about building bridges and just having that isolation be almost built into life. My experiences, I now realize, were simply one of the many that we could now tell, and tell through our love of food. So I asked Cherry to tell us a little bit more about what her childhood was like.
1: We live in the Hacienda, so we live in a farm, sugarcane farm. And my mom, you know, my parents were so generous. Our house is always open for people to eat, and every six o'clock in the morning, we call it Arima. It's like an assembly of sugarcane workers. Okay. They come to our house and they usually like have coffee, you know, pandesal. We have like a bakery there that my dad put up for people to eat. And as Sherry shares,
0: one of the biggest questions that she had as a kid was really, why did we have enough? While well, some people, like the farmers she grew up around and saw every day at 6 a.m. for coffee and pandesal, have barely enough to get by. What really made her different from the other kids around her who also lived on the farm? Not bad questions and, you know, pretty interesting for a six year old to ask.
1: Other people my age they did not notice it, but my mom said that I was just observant, I asked so many questions. And this curiosity
0: basically led to discovering what became one of Cherry's real lifelong loves a love for gardening
1: i'm at 11. i read a book about bio-intensive gardening so it's basically planting vegetables around your house and the book says that if you're poor 100 percent of your income goes to food you know 70 percent to rice indian kain pag walang kanin right so if you're Filipino, we always look for your rice no matter what and 30% goes for your viand in your ulam to be partnered with rice and the book says that if you plant vegetables around your house, you somehow save your 30% because you can now like go out in your gar- house, go to your garden, pick up tomatoes, eggplants and kangkong or other things and you can now simply like partner it with your rice and it's healthy.
0: Now, I know this sounds like pretty basic stuff. The growing vegetables in your backyard is basically free food that you can grow and you can care for this stuff and get your kids involved as well with preparing. But hearing Sherry say this, it, I don't know, for me again, just paints the picture so vividly. Because what happened is that, over time, what started as this rich tradition of making the most of what grew around the fields in the Philippines, you know, like around a nipa hut in a rice field, for example. Making things like snails and coconut cream, or quick pickles with like ferns and wild plants that grew around to pair with rice. This stuff went away as farming regulations in the country forced many farmers to produce X amount of grain to sell to a middleman with a crazy outrageous cut. That means at best that these farmers break even with the time and the work that they've put into growing the crops in their field. And then on top of not earning profit from the work, a lot of these farmers who grew up during the American occupation just kind of grew up with this dependence, even a preference, for for canned food as their ulam, which of course they had to spend money to buy so for cherry, what she wanted to know was, where did the vegetables go? In a nutshell, that's what drove her to learn more about gardening at 11.:
1: So I asked my mom on my 12th birthday to, to give me a bike. I remember I.: used to
0: And the reason she to wanted to bike was so that she could bike around the farm, know, to talking learn. to farmers about this new way of growing free food with vegetables something that everyone used to do
1: me and my sister were teaching them composting i remember from a book and at the time it was so clear to me that i love what they do and and even if her mom wanted her to be a
0: doctor it would take day and night to earn a scholarship for medical school cherry has four older siblings and when her dad got sick and had to be taken to the hospital they lost everything. The sugarcane hacienda, the workers, their capital.
1: So we paid everything to the hospital. And I did not want to be a doctor, so... So
0: Cherry forged her own path and applied to Visayas State University. Technically, two islands over in the province of Leyte.
1: And Leyte is far. It's 24 hours travel from Bacolod because I need to take a Roro or ferry to Cebu. And then end of Cebu to proper of Cebu bus, again, eight hours. And then ferry again from Cebu to Leyte. You know? And then for a 15, 16-year-old girl, a lot. it's a lot of travel and a lot of safety issues. Mm-hmm. But my mom just allowed me to go. So I went there in Visaya State University. I learned about agriculture, but also intentionally why I chose the school. is because I want to learn different dialects in the Philippines. Okay. There I learned Visaya, which is... You know, when you go to Visayas and Mindanao, they speak Visaya, mm-hmm. and I'm Ilong already, so <laughs> I know at least two-thirds of what the people speak in mm-hmm. the Philippines, major people speaks. So there I learned I immerse myself, I was still teaching farmers. I... And at university, Cherry
0: specialized in learning horticulture and landscape design, things that really allowed her to kind of dive into her love for the natural world a little bit more. But
1: in my head I was telling myself someday, someday, I want to put up my own company that I will help farmers because that's what my parents did when I was younger. And that was my dad did when he was alive. And eventually, you know, to cut the story short, I was here in Manila. I worked with Ayala Land Company as their landscaping designer for real estate development. I volunteered with Gawad Kalinga. I worked under food security component, so we called it Bayan-Anihan. And so the
0: idea behind this Bayan-Anihan program, which literally translates to harvest for a nation, is basically that each participating family gets the small garden plot, around 10 square meters, not that large, to plant seeds that ideally would turn into 10 kilos of vegetables every month. To give you a visual, that's roughly two large sacks of potatoes in like a North American grocery store. So, according to Gawad Kalinga, this amount, 10 kilos of vegetables, can provide up to 30 meals per family, or what ends up being one entire month of free quote unquote dinners from the vegetables that you can grow in a garden. Sound like a familiar concept? I tell Cherry it's kind of like this throwback to her maybe biking around her family's Ashanda as a 12-year-old talking about how amazing it is that he can grow vegetables in the garden. Like many of the families that Gawad Kalinga assists today, you know, those sugarcane workers were also on the fringes at the edges of the poverty line.
1: After three years, I was supposed to go for my Fulbright in, in the U.S. And you know, I got admitted to, to beautiful Ivy League schools, and I was mm-hmm. so torn because we started the Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm in Angat Bulacan. So I was there, and I was so inspired starting it, you know, because mm-hmm. I already worked with Gawad Kalinga, I understand the vision. Of, of, of lifting the lives of the poor and you know eradicating poverty but these are all bold words that you need to work on the ground and I lived there for four years I could write books about it you know it was beautiful and after four years I needed to start my own and that's Agreya inspiration behind agreya is because of my journey of being in agriculture you cannot take me out i breathe it you know <laughs> i breathe agriculture every single day i wake up and sleep through it you know so When I was working with Gawad Galinga, um, I used to work as a consultant with the Department of Agrarian Reform. My job is to help consolidate farmers to be cooperatives and associations and business development. And I had the chance to travel all over the Philippines. That's how I noticed that I need to start on an island to develop it.
0: So it was this insight. After traveling across the Philippines and working with individual families for that Bayan-Anihan program, that's what led to Agria's one-island economy model. This next part of the story goes that Sherry meets a couple
1: who pretty much become both mentors and second parents to her. Daddy Yonyeva is from Marin and Mommy Ivy El Mario. These are like my second parents. When I stayed with them, they really supported me to start Agreya, And I was crying because I don't want to leave Enchanted Farm at that time, but I need to start my own life. Because of course, it was a total volunteer work. And I... So Daddy Yong and mommy Ivy brought me to Marinduque. That was November 2014. And the moment we left at 9pm, and we arrived there early morning, it's sunrise, you know, and the sunrise was so beautiful at the bay in an island so green and i felt so in love with the island and i just kept exploring it you know i know no one in the island but i i feel like you know this the people in this island would be my family and that's the story of agrea
0: over time as cherry returned to the island of marinduque on weekends after leaving her day job in the city and traveling for like eight
1: hours by bus and car and ferry I get stuck in the middle of the sea three times. Yeah, way back, because I would travel like in the evening. Um, you know, after all the work here, I would take the bus at 9 p.m. And sometimes you get stuck in the middle of the sea because, like, before the boat are not that, uh, yeah, always reliable and all this. So I got stuck, and I asked myself several times, what am I doing here? It's not even a province, you know?
0: But as with everything that's worth doing, You kind of just learn how to get past those challenges, those things that make you go, what the hell am I
1: doing? So I keep on coming back, keep on coming back. I remember a few weeks that I was there, I was like uh, learning to know the farmers, the fishermen. I love the fact that it's very Filipino, Mm -hmm. that every time I go, we drink tuba you know the coconut wine and uh, sing karaoke and then the fisherman would arrive with a catch of tuna and just grill it then we eat it and we drink and we just love to sing Mm -hmm. and i was like this is life in a very simple way right i said okay this is a good dose of inspiration i said no backing out i need to make sure Agriya will work
0: This last bit reminded me of something that really piqued my interest in Agria at the beginning. Something they call the ecology of dignity. For Cherry and her team, this means looking at the bigger picture in terms of
1: farming. We have the entire sustainable food value chain, right? If you want to dissect it, it's driven by producers, but most of the time consumers. And I work with so many producers, like in Marinduque. It's a crime to humanity that the producers are the poorest and the hungriest. Like for example in the Philippines, our farmers, if you're a rice farmer, uh, you only earn around $400 a year if you plant rice once, you know. So how can you survive? We said we need to put dignity to the people who are producing our food. Mm-hmm. because. If you will not dignify them, it will not be enticing in the future for people to go into being a producer.
0: In short, if the farmers themselves feel like there's no dignity in the work that they do, if at the end of the day, between getting up before dawn and laboring in a field all day, like literal backbreaking work, if that still isn't enough to meet even the most basic needs for a family, that person's dignity, even for themselves at the most basic level, is, is broken. Then what happens is that this farmer, with the knowledge of the fields and weather conditions and crop rotation and even things like what it's like to farm squashes in this particular plot of land, that person's going to think, you know, Why should I pass this on to my children? And like any parent, they're going to want their kids to do better. Which means leaving the farm and the generations of tradition that comes with growing and harvesting and preparing your own food. And come on, I get it. Technological change will come, and it has come in Western countries. But... Other places can kind of make it work, and I know it's going to take a while for the Philippines to get there, but there must be a way for us to save and preserve this kind of knowledge that we do have left for those foods that grow and speak distinctly of the Philippine soil. I agree with Cherry in that this starts with providing farmers in provincial areas the respect and, frankly, the patronage that they deserve. Going back to the beginning of this interview, I talked about how if the people of Marinduque, this one island, import 91% of the rice they consume all the way from Vietnam, just take a second to think about how that makes the local farmers feel. If you know that all the backbreaking work you put into doing something at a basic level isn't even going to provide the food that your family needs on the table to, you know, live, Would you want your children to continue doing what you're doing, to continue farming? And if you think about it again,
1: how many times does this scenario play across the country? And knowing that in the Philippines, we're an agricultural country, I believe that our farmers have suffered so long. And, you know, like stopping their suffering is a bold way to do about it. But I will do my fair share. It's so easy to exploit farmers because most of them, they not know how to read and write. You know, average age of farmer is 58 years old. Average educational attainment is uh, grade 4, 10-year-old in school. So we create a program to equip them, to bring back their dignity and respect to themselves.
0: And like all good programs, implementing AGRIA's goals starts with understanding the how in doing things. For them, this starts with something called a capacity building framework. Like in programming or project management, having this kind of framework really helps with guiding people on your team to make sure that everyone's aligned with the right methods to use and the goals that you're shooting for with metrics along the way. That allows you to really measure success. And at Agria, their goals are to enable farmers by making them three things, basically. Grounded through values formation, skilled through technical training, and empowered in a more general sense, but more specifically through financial literacy.
1: We have capacity building programs that the Agria Foundation is running to support the Agria business. So the foundation starts with values formation. If you're a farmer working with, for example, rice, we, we teach you values about dreaming. When we go to farming communities, I always remind our team, in all our trainings, every time we train, we are not here to be messianic, you know, to, to solve our problems, no. Because I always tell the farmers, I don't pity you. Hindi ako na-awa sa inyo. But of course, deep inside me, may awa. Kasi we're human being, right? I don't pity you. Why? Because you have potential. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you that you are the solution of your own problem, mm-hmm. and you are the solution of the problem that you're complaining. Mm-hmm. So let's work for that solution, and let's you know cultivate it, because agriculture is not about cultivation of land or crops. It's really about cultivation of human being, you know. Mm-hmm. And the technology of dignity is really about cultivating their dreams, their dreams for themselves, their family, their community the island as a whole and a, fil- and a filipino farmer mm-hmm. so we have that in their program uh, and then after the values formation we teach them skills development training so for example if they're rice farmers we equip them what are the latest technologies that are climate change adaptive knowing that our countries visited with 21 typhoons on so the average every year so we teach farmers that, oh, there are latest technologies, you will change your seeds. There are seeds that are short when they grow, you know, the plant of rice is short so that when the would comes, when your rice is tall, all of them will just go down and you don't have a uh, rice harvest anymore. And in skills development, we're not only teaching them how to plant rice while well, waiting for your rice or you can take care of some other vegetables. Mm-hmm. You can take care of organic chicken, you can take care of organic pigs so that you have diversified source of income. And the third after the skills development, we equipped them with financial training. So we trained them on financial literacy. So, So basic balance sheet and budgeting. So like for example, if you plant rice, how much budget do you need from land preparation Mm -hmm. until you harvest and when are you going to put fertilizer, what cost would it be so that they have a basic of management of their wealth and then they would see that they're becoming entrepreneur because they know how to compute, they know how to budget, they know how to project that at the end of the day. And at the harvest, they have this much of money because their yield will produce this much. So now when the trader would come in, they can haggle. with yeah. the trader says, we equip them. This is why I'm such a fan of this particular
0: model, because it starts from the ground going up. I mean, we can talk about these you know, beautiful parallels between training farmers and seeing them grow, like the plants that they grow that feed us, But I'm about equal parts a realist and a dreamer, and the reality is that there's such a long way to go. Again, none of these ideas are particularly new, but what does make them unique is that it just requires a mindset change. And I have so much respect for everyone involved here, though. For the farmers who work to educate themselves, and for the people who work to make that happen. wanted to learn more about how exactly Agria puts these ideas into action so I asked Sherry to explain a little bit more.
1: In Agria, since you also do the business, we also provide them the marketing support, packaging support, the processing support. So if they plant, we buy from them. If you're a rice farmer for example, the scheme would be if you're one hectare of land would produce five tons of rice so we always compute how many people in your family in your household that you need to feed the whole year so they would say oh mom we have like eight members of the family we need two tons the whole year so if they only harvest once a year we give them that two tons immediately it means that's your food on the table it's not like you grow rice and then after that you buy rice from the market so we give them the two tons Immediately under the three-tenths, they sell to Agria, but we buy it at a fair trade market price.
0: And this is key, although it may not seem like it. This single step in the process of partnering with Agria to ensure that, you know, when you actually plant rice at the start of the season, there's going to be a guaranteed amount to cover your family's immediate needs, which immediately goes back to you. Because again, the reality is that most farmers just aren't equipped with the capacity to plan ahead and to think strategically about it. Because again, most farmers drop out of school at age 10, fourth grade. The single step makes a
1: difference. So we buy it what is equitable for them and actually most of the time above what the other trader would buy because this is really building trust and a family within each other. In our training as well, dignifying them, it's not only about doling out, you know, because they're used to, to the government dole out Just mentality. Receiving. Receiving. So like for example, if they need to apply to be trained. So we have actually a farmers fellowship program. Okay. They need to apply to be a fellow. So for example, in Rice we have top thirty farmers okay. that they will be trainer of other farmers in the future. So we'll give them allowance to train other farmers. That would be our program next year. Because other farmers, they have the capacity to train, and most farmers would listen to fellow farmers, Mm -hmm. right? So that's our strategy. So imagine from a mere farmer without hope, you equip them with hope and building their dreams. You know, it's really basically translating their dreams into a goal Mm -hmm. that is very tangible for them
0: actionable steps
1: yes actionable steps and eventually they will be consultants and trainers and they will be farmer entrepreneur in the future Mm -hmm. so it's a long way to go but this is the process that we take i am all for this i can only
0: imagine really how that feeling of empowerment really feels for farmers who go through the training themselves to become someone that your contemporaries look up to psychologically can do incredible things for the way that you see yourself. It's a part
1: of nurturing this ecology of dignity. And this is very unique in Agria because a lot of organizations, of course, they train farmers but just handle there. We really work with farmers. We don't even call them as suppliers or or producers, we call them as partners, you know? We are partner in our business. Mm -hmm. If Agria will fly, all of us will fly, you know? If Agria will, we're all in this together, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's more of a principle. So they feel it that, you know, they feel really that they're dignified because like, just to be in the training, if you're absent, we have assessment, you cannot be a farmer trainer Mm -hmm. next time because you failed your attendance. Mm you know, you did not attend the training. So they feel that they also need to aspire. Mm -hmm. So aspiration is something that we're inculcating in them. It's not only like, okay, waiting for the government to give them support and it's crippling them. But here, they aspire to be a trainer, you know, they aspire to to have a uniform and have a kit and have 25 farmers to be trained Mm -hmm. and, you know, handling an Agri-Up training module. They feel the pride towards that.
0: I have, uh, I guess the first words that comes to mind when you're explaining all that is really that it's a very holistic approach to, to doing that and just to kind of provide a little bit of context to, to what some of uh, these farmers may be experiencing, they may be used to those, those handouts and those dole outs and this approach that you're taking to kind of Really make them realize, uh, or help them realize rather, help them realize for themselves together with other farmers, para the other farmers also see that, you know, if they can do it, like it, maybe I can do it too. Yeah. And, like it, it's kind of like a trickle down effect, but also kind of also circular because I guess like if other farmers are able to show their. contemporaries this is what you should do this is what's going to happen when you do that when they see it firsthand and when they participate in those types of trainings that that, that's the way that you're bringing about that dignity you're building that dignity in in those um, farming families and one aspect of that that i'm i'm really very interested in is how that affects their kids As the kids are growing up and then they're seeing the returns of that training and of that financial literacy education, they're able to better project uh, what their family will need over the next year or two. What's the feedback for those kids? Like, are they kind of getting more interested in it as well? Because I know that, for example, in the Philippines, and one of the things that you're uh, also doing for my research is making it so that young people are, are seeing agriculture as a viable career because the history so far has been for the kids to go to the city and to try to make a living through there. If the average age of the Filipino farmer is like in their 50s and 60s, when they leave, who's gonna take over it, right? Yeah.
1: So what we do actually, Agria has uh, the foundation mm-hmm. uh, specifically. We have uh, several programs with young farmers. So we trained young people to find like leadership in building agriculture and agribusiness to increase the awareness that there's always like money in farming, that farming is such a hobby. It can be your profession. You can make money out of it. Um, most of our youth agripreneurship program, actually, we're so lucky that it's funded by the U.S. Embassy. Wow. So we just actually finished one. It was so successful. We had uh, 36 youth leaders from Mindanao. Um, one third of them come from Marawi after the war, they survived the war there. And then we train them. Others are from indigenous communities in Mindanao. So now we form them into six groups, and they're now implementing their projects. We give them a, like a seed fund. And in Marinduque, I'm very keen that education is always a best place to to change the mindsets of people. Right? Imagine if we work we work in this island for the next 20 years, and Agria will influence all the primary school, you know, the elementary kids.
0: Next, I learn about this program called the Garden Classroom.
1: So right now we have 19 garden classrooms in the island of Marinduque. So we teach the kids basic backyard gardening, and now the produce of their farm goes to their feeding program of the school. And Sherry says that for one school, the students there, they used to bring vegetables to their homes, so their parents were shocked. Why are you coming home not with assignments, but with sea tau and eggplants and tomatoes and okra? And they said, oh, we have a garden in school, so now. We just trained 60 parents to help set up the community garden. And now, even in their household, they're planting. So it's like, wow, we just started with the school. Now it's all over the community. And the barangay captain joined, the council (laughs) joined. And it's gotten to the point that the seven poroks, you know, the smaller unit in the barangay, they submitted like 60 names to be trained. So we just had a training. So now they're farming. Another
0: school on the island, I'm told, despite being heavily damaged by a typhoon last
1: year. Their school sold 400 plus kilos of pet chai to the market wow. because they grow so much. And one of the schools as well, they produce a lot of seeds for replanting. So it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, we need to have a lot of improvements in that program because it's our first time to do it. And we're working it with the Department of Education in Marinduque, and this year we will be working it with the Department of Agriculture so that we can work hand-in-hand to really promote this in schools.
0: I guess change really does start with one step after another.
1: So basically, we're already embedding the vision of Agria to make this island sustainable. Imagine in the next 20 years, they will be 27 years old or 30 years old or our age. You know, they're already equipped with the mindset that we plant for our own food. They will be the most resilient kids. You know, this is beyond sustainability anymore. This is about resiliency in the process. And this, I think, is another one of those big ideas that kind of get buried
0: underneath what seems like a minor detail. Teaching 7- to 12-year-old kids how to farm. That planting seeds that you save from the last harvest can turn into food that sustains your family and, you know, additionally, income in the form of vegetables that you can sell at the market. These kind of things make a world of difference in these communities because they're a real physical way of showing that you can make a difference. You can be, you know, the master of, of your household, of your domain. Being a caretaker of a garden plot, at its essence, puts food on your table. And importantly, it breaks that chain of older generations of farmers whose entire lives revolved around feeling this despair, this lack of hope, where all the work they put into never amounted to much, where simply waiting to be given a small amount of money from the government was was it the thing that you loved for
1: we teach them how to produce organic fertilizer they have vermicomposting in their school so it's really something that that is so wonderful to see and i love it happening and imagine especially in the in the philippines you know vegetables is always associated a poor man's crop when you eat vegetables it means you're poor you cannot afford to buy meat or fish or you know So, but then here we're planting vegetables and they're eating it. Their feeding program, it's all malunggay and okra and they're loving it. It's really about uh, having these kids that, you know, that mindset. So I have this uh, 10 year old boy there in one of the schools in Bayak Bakin, so far, it's like on top of the mountain. We went there. And one of the boys there, he said, he grew up with his dad and his dad is no read and write. Mm -hmm. So the dad only knows how to plant corn. And then he said, oh, every summer and every break, uh, I plant corn with my dad. But now, my dad knows how to plant eggplant, how to plant tomatoes, how to plant okra and other vegetables, like squash, you know. And they said, how did your dad learn? I taught to him. Uh. So now that dad also joined the training, now instead of just planting corn, they have a complete set of cereals and proteins, right? So... Um, So, it's really something that imagine a 10-year-old boy is now teaching his dad.
0: I learned so much from this interview about agriculture and what it's like in the Philippines today. And more importantly, where it's going with the help of people and organizations who see the value in investing in youth and community-based learning. Because even if the world's biggest problems seem way too big to tackle, like hunger, poverty, restoring human dignity, sometimes solutions can start with a backyard garden. My sincerest thanks to Cherry Atilano for meeting with me in Manila for this interview. Head over to the show notes for links to Agria's website and the various programs they run, and you can find Sherry, a.k.a. at Farmer Pinay, on Instagram. Between everything she does, I'm super thankful she took time from her day to share these stories with us. Music for this episode is by David Seste, Eric and McGill, Podington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Visit exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes and follow at Exploring Filipino Kitchens on Facebook and Instagram to say hello. Maraming salamat and thank you for listening.